Good morning, everybody. Nice, bracing day out there, isn't it? Makes you feel like a true Minnesotan. Anyway, we've got some announcements. Uh, first off, our connection cards are in the lobby. If you would, uh, if you have any new information, contact information, or maybe you're visiting and you'd like us to keep you in the loop, please fill out one of those and put it in the box by the soundboard. That's also the offering box for our regular attenders. And we have an electric swiper if you want to give by credit card. Um, as PJ mentioned, 20s and 30s Life Group meets on Tuesday nights at 7, going through the book of James right now. Women's Bible study, there is no study until April. Stay tuned for an upcoming tea party. That sounds fun. And contact Don and Laurie with any questions. Uh, the church still needs help uh, getting all cleaned up and spruced up from time to time, so the sign-up sheets are in the back if you'd like to help uh, with church cleaning. And there's a really cool men's retreat coming up, Men's Advance, loaded at Camp Jim, February 26th through the 28th for ages 10 and up. It's going to be fun. All right, let's go to our prayer focus and kind of goes along with what PJ was talking about. Jeremiah 10.23. Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Whose favorite answer is no? Uh, to get in response to a question is no. Do you like hearing no? How about when God tells you no? A lot of people take that as, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Yeah, he did. He said no. Why? I don't know. So often we get discouraged, we get angry, we get disillusioned, we throw a temper tantrum when God says no. And he could be saying no, or he could be saying wait. We don't know. But there are times when opportunities come along, and we are so sure-fired that well, this has got to be God. And he closes that window, or he closes that door. And it doesn't work out for some reason. We don't know why there's a global pandemic. We don't know why missions opportunities in the cities with Envision have had to come to a standstill. We don't know why everybody's had to wear masks and be quarantined and, and things have been canceled and all that. We don't know. And we can't even begin to say why God does this and why God does that because guess what? He's God. He doesn't have to give us all the particulars. We don't get CC'd in the email. We don't get the battle plan all the time. However, he does have a plan. He's not saying no just to be spiteful. He's not trying to be a mean God up in heaven wanting to smite us down and keep us down. That's what the world thinks. If God is such a good God, why? That old line. So maybe it was a job opportunity that didn't come to fruition. A ministry opportunity, a relationship, who knows? 
But if you're dealing with God saying no today, thank him. Because as a good father who wants good for his children, sometimes a parent has to say no. Because the kids don't know what's best for them. So, as we go to prayer, think about the disappointment that you're going through in your life right now. That you don't understand why God has said no. And thank him for his direction. Thank you for his protection. Thank him that he is going to lead his paths for his righteousness, of righteousness for his namesake. Be thankful that he is going to bring more opportunities your way when he can say yes and bring good things to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to be in charge of our own lives. Thank you, God, that you are in charge. Thank you that you direct us if we're listening. Thank you, God, for the times you've said yes and you've blessed us, and it seems like everything is going great. God, thank you for the times that you've said no, because it's a time of correction, a time of course readjustment a time of protection from you. We thank you for being the light unto our path. We thank you, God, for loving us and being with us. Help us in our discouragement, our disappointment, and help us realize that you are always working together for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And since it was on Facebook, I don't think it's a secret we have a, uh, a celebration, uh, a, a round of applause that's due. Ernie and Rachel got engaged. <laughs> Love is in the air. It's just... Kids are going to have to hang with us this morning, but that's all right, because I'm going to need your help in a little bit, so hang in there with us. It's kind of funny, PJ was telling you all the places I've been this week. Yes, I've been to Walmart, I've, uh, I even went to Planet Fitness, I know, that's going to shock some of you that I was actually there and uh, I was actually, yeah, I know, you're going to ruin my reputation, PJ, I avoid that place usually, but we had a good time, it was a date, so um, I hang out at CLC and yes, milk and all those good things, so you kind of got a, a picture, but. Um, we're going to dive in this morning a little bit in, in Amos chapter 3, and again, this, the series has been uh, challenging in many ways, because Amos is a prophet who has uh, not an encouraging message, just to be plain and simple. It's a, it's a tough message. In fact, um, Amos' name means low-bearer. 
heavy burden, heavy load, carrying a lot. And we know, fortunately, Scripture tells us that Amos was um, a farmer, a shepherd, um, did fairly well. Um, at the time of his prophecy, the nations um, were doing really well. They were prospering. Um, of course, the, the nation was divided, right? We, we talked about that, right? There was Judah down to the, the south. Two tribes were down there, the southern kingdom. And then there was a northern kingdom up to the north. And that was Israel. And you know, they had great wealth. Things were well. It was peaceable. Um, it was really a, a good time as far as from the outside. But as we know, God sends prophets to give that message because spiritually, things are not going well. And if you were with us, we, in chapter 1, we talked about that God's not okay with the sin of other nations, right? Amos was a little unique, right? He, he prophesied some of the destruction of the nations around Israel and around Judah. No, these weren't God's chosen people. These were the, the Gentiles, the people that were outside of the temple. And God says, no, I see your sins. I see what's going on, and I'm going to judge you. I'm not okay with that. And then last week, we moved a little bit closer to home, right? We talked about, in chapter 2, we talked about that God's not okay with our sin, and more specifically, with the nation of Judah and with Israel. In fact, we're going to go on and talk about how God's really not okay with what's going on in Israel. And we're, Amos today is going to really kind of focus in on that. But before we got too judgmental, right, we said some of those same sins we can see not only in our own nation, but we can see in our own hearts. And so we have to deal with them. I was mentioning that I was been preaching through Amos and, and said, wow, God is a God of wrath and judgment and he's harsh. But if you think about it and you look back, you look at those scriptures, even in the, these chapters, God warned them over and over again, right? He gave them grace. He gave them time, right? We talked about three sins yet four. Amos is famous for that, his, his saying, three sins, yet I have four. He gave them chances. But at number four, there's a point of judgment. You can't go on any further. And so in chapter three, Amos is going to give us that glimpse, but God's going to give them even a little further warning. And so that kind of sets up where we're at, right? So we're going to look at Israel this morning um, through the lens of what's going on there, but also in our own lives. And we have to be careful of the same things. I love having the kids in here. It makes it a lot more interesting, a lot more fun. You, if you could see what I see, it, it just would be, be hilarious. But I got a great view from here. Reminds me, too, that I'm, I'm in that stage of life now where it's grandkids and not kids anymore, and it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's a lot more fun. So we can wind them up and let them go. And, hey, Mom and Dad, they're yours. So. Uh, but I do remember those days. All right, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Hear this word, the Lord has spoken against you. O people of Israel, against the whole family I brought you up out of Egypt. You only have, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Again, Lord here is speaking to, to Israel, and he's using Amos to do that. But he's speaking specifically to that group of people, his chosen people, right? These are the Jews. These are the ones that are chosen. They're the ones that are supposed to be as much like him and representing him. 
And he, again, that reminder, as he does, right? Hey, I, I took care of you when you came out of Egypt. I protected you. I watched over you in the desert. I've fulfilled my promises. I've brought you and set you in the... You've had opportunity. You know what to do. But now it's going to come to that point where it's gone too far. And I'm going to have to punish you for those sins. Right? And we talked about a few of those sins, right? We, we looked at that last week. Well, there's a few more. And with anything, there's probably many more sins that are going on. But there are a couple that God says, you know, enough's enough. You've gone, you've crossed the line. So that's where we're at in this. And again, chapter 3 sets that up. And now Amos is going to shift and he's going to do seven rhetorical questions. No, Pastor Charlie doesn't ask many rhetorical questions, but God does use rhetorical questions. One of the other things I love is he gives us great illustrations here, right? Sometimes a picture says a lot more. It gives us a, a fuller picture. I'm not overly good at that in, in my preaching style to do illustrations, but the Bible does a really good job of that. And so we're going to use a couple of those today as we look through it. But there's seven of them in a row, and it's kind of interesting, and we'll work through them. And the first one says, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? I'm going to stop right there real quick for a minute. Hey, Jesse, stand up, man. We had breakfast yesterday, right? We're friends, right? Yeah? You want to take, take a walk with me? You mind? Let's go this way, all right? We'll go this way. Yeah, let's just take a walk together. Breakfast was pretty good yesterday, wasn't it? Absolutely. Eggs, bacon, bacon, the floppy bacon. That's right. You, like, you don't like floppy, you like floppy bacon. You don't like it overcooked, right? Yeah. We had a pretty good study, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bryce did an all right job leading, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he leads it pretty well. You know what? I want you to tell Bryce something, though. Maybe you didn't know this, but that bacon that we were eating, yeah. he stole that from a poor family. What? He's been doing it for months. How can you do that? Yeah. He's been taking it, and they don't have anything to eat. He, he literally keeps stealing from it. Oh, my gosh. And it's someone right here, right in our area. Really? Yeah. And if that wasn't bad enough, he got Ernie in on the, on the deal, too. Ernie, too? Yeah. Those eggs, those were the same. Yeah. Stole it. Left them with nothing. Nice. Right. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, you know what he cooked them in? A frying pan. A, frying pan. a golden frying pan. A golden frying yep. pan. Yep. He has it set up in his house. He worshiped that thing. He goes, he, exactly. It's worse than the golden calf. He should know better, right? Yeah. He's a leader in the church. He worships that thing over and over and over again. It's a shrine. He doesn't even let Amy use it. He only, he's the only one that uses the frying pan. Can you believe that? Oh, wow. Uh, thanks for your help, man. I, but. You need to talk to him, okay? You should know better, too. Right. Ernie, you should know better, too. No. <laughs> I know we had some fun with that, but, and that sounds crazy, right? And, and, and Bryce doesn't have a golden frying pan. I've seen it. He, he washes it. It's nothing special. But we say how crazy that is. But really, that's the same thing that's going on just in a different form here in Israel. And the leaders were doing it. They were taking advantage, taking food out of their own people. They weren't stealing from other nations. They, weren't, they were plundering their own very own people for their own satisf satisf yeah. satisfaction. Thank you. My wife, she's good at filling in the end of my words. It's good. So I just need to listen to her more often. I probably would do better. So, No. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that, that bringing in, right? Setting up an idol, worshiping something that wasn't God. And they should have known better. And again, the, the history's been there. And they're taking advantage of the people. Now, Jesse did a great job being friends. And, and we didn't set that up. I was taking a risk there because Jesse had a choice. He could have either been like Amos and obeyed and, and been obedient and submitted. Or he could have been like Jonah and ran the opposite direction. Good job, Jesse. Thanks, man. I, but the concept here is that God and Amos are in step together. They're in fellowship together, right? God's given Amos the authority of God when he's speaking these words to them. You can imagine, it's got to be kind of daunting for Amos to go up into a nation, because again, he had to go up into Israel and tell the leaders of that day, guess what? You're wrong. You know what? None of us. I, I don't know of anyone that likes to hear, hey, you're wrong. You've been doing it wrong. You need to turn, you need to repent, you need to stop doing that. I think we talked about that. That doesn't usually go well, right? That first response usually can be anger, it can be just discredited. Sometimes we'll attack the messenger. That happened to some of the prophets. We don't know that with Amos, but we know that message wasn't well received because they certainly didn't heed it, because we know the rest of the story. As it is with most prophets, uh, the message wasn't received, but God did give them opportunity. God did give them a warning. They had that chance to turn, to go back. So that's just one. We're not going to do all the illustrations, but we're going to do a few of them. But uh, number four, verse four. Does a lion roar in the thicket when there is no prey? Does he growl in his den when he has caught nothing? Okay, I told you kids I was going to have you help me out. All right? I, I've tried. I've tried to do a lion's growl, you know, roar. My kids know this. I try to, you know, and it doesn't work very well. Just, it just sounds kind of weak. Kind of, uh, so I need you kids to help me out, all right? I'm going to count to three, and I want to hear you roar, all right? I'm, I'm telling you, you can roar in church, all right? But you can do it really loud, all right? One, two, three. <laughs> I thought I was bad. All right, come on, let's try this again. Come on, we got, uh, that's a practice run, all right? Ready? One, two, three. You guys are leaving me out. You're hanging me. There's a bunch of little Jonas around it. No. All right, come on, help me out. Roar. Roar really loud. It's okay. Your parents, I know your parents have told you to be quiet. Pastor Charlie's telling you you can be loud in church right now. Right now, right? Ready? One, two, three. There we go. Uh, I had some help. I needed some help. Some bigger kids helped out. All right. But look at the illustration here. Thank you, kids. All right. You're going to get another chance. There's another lion in this story, so hang in there with me, all right? Again, it's a rhetorical question, right? It says, does the lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey, right? No, why would he do that? Because if, if he roared, then the, there's no prey because the prey is going to run, right? They'll heed the warning. Lions are quiet. They're, they're in stealth mode. They're, 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 it's taking some time. They're sneaking up on them, Right? Obviously, here in the picture, opportunity of where we are in the context, God is the lion, and he's saying, you've had opportunity, now I have you in sight, right? And, and I'm giving you an opportunity before I, I roar and bring my judgment on you, but it's coming, right? It's coming. I'm, I'm getting close to that point, right? But you, you're not going to be able to get away. We, we looked at that last week, right? He, he said that in chapter 2, that no one can escape. Right? We think we can hide from sin, but we can't. So this is building. 
Let's look at some of these other ones. It says, does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no snare that has been set? Does a trap spring up from the earth when there's nothing to catch? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble when disaster comes to the city? Has not the Lord caused it? Again, we see that theme and we see it over and over again that the God is in control. God brings things into our lives to help us, to help us turn around, to help us repent. Joe, that was, that was great, right? Sometimes God says no, and, and God said no to things that are going to cause us harm or things that are going to take us away from him. He'll allow it for a certain point, but at some point he's going to say, nope, this is not good for you. you, you you're going to get too far away. You're going to get in, ensnared. You're going to get trapped. And really what Amos is saying is, Israel, you've gone to that place now. You're there now. You're already ensnared. Bryce, you can't put down that frying pan anymore, right? You've gone to that point. You're no longer thinking about me. You're thinking about yourself. You're stepping on people to get what you want. And so now they're, 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 they're caught. Israel is in that spot, and they've got two choices. They can continue on in judgment, or they can repent and turn and go back, and God will relent. Sadly, we know they don't, right? They continue on in their way. And again, things are going good. In fact, I was talking to someone this week, and they asked me the question, so if things are going well for me, does that mean that God's blessing me? You know what? I don't really know. It can go either way, right? Things can be going good, but your relationship from God, it may not be a blessing from God. Transversely, things can be going bad, and I can still be in right relationship with God, and things are still good. So again, outward blessings or earthly blessings don't always equate relationship with God. You hear what I said? Right? Outward possessions, earthly things don't always equate being in right relationship with God. Sometimes those things can take us away. That was what was happening here with Israel. They were being led astray by their prosperity, by what was going on, the peace, doing really well. All right, a couple more illustrations here. Changes a little bit here in verse 7. It says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. All right, I'm just stopping at verse 7, right? That's why I said God's given them a warning, right? God sends the prophets to them to warn them, to let them know, right? Revealing his plan. I like what Joe, Joe was saying. He doesn't give us the whole plan, but you know what? In a way, God does give the plan quite often. Right? And we know, we know the consequences. For one at 70 miles, right? You know, if I keep speeding, if I keep going up 371 at 70 miles an hour, there's going to be a cause. I want to get pulled over eventually. There was two state troopers yesterday morning out there on 371. I probably wouldn't have made it all the way down to the church. Right? But if you keep going that way, there's a consequence that's coming. There's a plan. God's not going to allow that to continue on. And so here, God sends Amos, among other prophets. There's, Amos is not the only one that tells them this, but Amos is the one that we're looking at this morning to let them know that, hey, you're in the wrong direction. It's not going well. Sovereign Lord, God is overall. He knows the plan. He's got it. We just need to follow and get in line with his plan. 
Verse 8. The lion is roared. Kids. Big kids. All right, you got that. All right, come on, kids. One, two, three. There we go. All right. More like kittens, but all right, you're getting there. You're getting there. Lions, lions roar. Verse 8. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? I'm not going to be very fearful of those kittens, but the lion, the sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? All right? Again, a rhetorical question. Again, God has sent Amos. He sent everything they know. They know what to do. They're really without excuse. He's letting them know. And they're not fearing God, obviously. Realize that when we're not obeying what God has told us to do, we're not fearing God. We're not in obedience. We're not doing his plan or his work. Right? We have to be in step with that. And I love how it's translated, the sovereign Lord. It's that reminder that God is over all. He is in control. Thank goodness, right? Thank goodness it's not up to us. And he says, who can judge, proclaim it? Who cannot, who cannot see it is what he's saying here. Judgment's on the doorstep. That's what's coming. Verse 9. Proclaim to the fortress of Ashdod and to the fortress of Egypt... Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who hoard and plunder and loot in their fortresses. It's kind of an interesting couple of verses here. What he's saying is, hey, he's talking to the nation. Hey, gather around. He says, get up, get up high. Get up on the mountains, right? Get a better view. Right? You can see. I can see all the way to the back there. Right? You can see. Some of you guys are even waving. Right? Hey, take a view. Watch what's happening. Again, it's also a reminder, right? Remember, the Jews chosen, those chosen people that God's called were to be an example to the nations, not the reverse. Right? And he's, now he's telling those, hey, look outside, right? Look you know, I brought some destruction on you, right? I've got judgment on you, but look, even my chosen people are not following me at this point. And it wasn't to encourage them. It was to example to those around them, to the nations around them. And instead, they were actually worse than some of the nations that were around them. So again, to their shame. We also see, you know, see what they were doing here, right? There's great unrest within the oppression, oppression of the people. Rice, stealing eggs and bacon, right? Yeah. No. Same idea, though, that they were taking advantage of their own. They weren't even taking care of their own people. I even love what verse 10 says there. It says, they do not even know how to do right. I can think of my own life at times. Sometimes when I get in that spiral, right, we usually don't, if we can be honest, we don't always usually commit one sin. We usually commit multiple. And if I go down that path, for a long time. I think of my, my years as a prodigal son. Um, yes, I identify with that. I got to a point where I couldn't do anything right if I wanted to, right? I just compounded my mistakes, and I would do multiple things that were wrong. It's kind of where Israel's at this point. They don't even see it anymore. They've just gotten so far into it. They just, they can't do anything right. Their worship's not right. How they're treating people's not right. 
Again, there was a long list of things that were going wrong. They weren't where they were supposed to be. Totally off the rails. God says they can't even do, they don't even know at this point how they're away from. Again, we can get the same way. We can get so far off track and so far away from God that we're in that same boat. And again, to top it all off, he's got people watching. Hey, get up, get up high, watch this. Watch what's going to happen, right? I'll leave it there. Verse 11, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. An enemy will overrun the land. He will pull down your strongholds and plunder your fortresses. This is what the Lord says. Right? I told you, he's only going to let them go so far. And in 722, he does. He brings down Israel. The whole nation of Israel gets taken out by the Assyrians. Not Judah. That comes a little bit later on. But the nation of Israel gets decimated. Right? If you're studying Jonah, we know, right? Who's that, who's that big, we call it, who's the big gorilla in the room? Who? Nineveh. There we go. Thank you, Steve. Somebody was there. I know I wasn't there alone, right? Yeah. The Assyrians, the Nineveh, they, they come down, right? They come down and they wipe out a large portion of Israel. They, they, they take everything down. The buildings, that land never does get back to being Israel's. And there's not many that are left. Again, we've talked about they were the terrorists before they were terrorists. They, they knew how to, to make people fear them. They knew how to capture land, integrate land. Um, but they waved them out. They, they did a, a, a number, again, and God allowed that. And again, that's the consequence for Israel's sin. And so God allows them to, to come in and just overrun them. And just plows them down. Just takes them out. Wipes them clean of the land. Again, that judgment's coming. And here, this is what Amos is telling them. You can imagine how that's received. Because again, at the time, things are going well. Not really a, a threat at this point. They're there, but they're not really a, a, a major threat. They think, hey, we've got strongholds. We've got money. We've got allies. We should be all set. We could stand up against them. Amos says, no, no. They're going to overrun you. They're going to plunder you. They're going, to, they're going to take away everything that you have. But, again, like I said, even though we see all this judgment and stuff, we also know that God has grace in this. This is his grace in this. Verse 12. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd says from the lion's mouth, hey, there's another lion. All right, kids. One, two, three. All right. It's a tough, tough crowd this morning. You guys, can, come on. Really loud. One, two, three. Kind of a wimpy lion, but that's all right. You're with me, though. All right. As the shepherd saves from the lion's mouth, only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites be saved. Those who sit in Samaria on the edge of their beds and Damascus on their couches. So I say God has grace, right? Remember, God made a promise to those chosen, those Jews, right? So there will always be a remnant. I'm not going to completely do away with you. I'm not going to completely decimate you till there's no more. 
But if you look at this, these verses, it's going to come at a cost. They're not all obviously going to be saved. In fact, it's, it's, interesting. it's, it's going to be just a, a few pieces. It's going to be, and it's not going to be unscathed, right? I said God has grace, but he had judgment as well. And he was pretty harsh. And he was, we would say looking into it, ah, that's harsh. That's, that's cruel. But God still held on to a remnant. And I would, as I look at that, I, I get this image of, yeah, he saved them out of that. He kept them and, and he rescued a few for himself, but they had scars. They had wounds. They had hurts. Think about it. You'd have the memories of the, the good days. You, know, you would lose family members. You would lose loved ones. You'd have nothing left. You, you would be totally stripped of any wealth. You might not even have all of your clothes. That's the picture. That's the imagery that he's giving here. It's only going to be a few, and he's the one that determines who those few are. All right? It may or may not be Bryce with his frying pan. He may not make it. Most likely not. But yet he promises to hold on to a few. And God's kept that promise. Again, we can see that. We know that that's part of his faithfulness, part of his grace but it comes at a cost. All right, as we wrap this up and kind of come around the bend on this chapter, there's a lot in this chapter. I'm just kind of touching some of the highlights, so if you get a chance, go back through it this week and look at it in context of the whole passage. But verse 12, Hear this and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. On the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Again, it gives us that picture, right? Like I said, things are going well. Think about it. They've got winter homes and summer homes, Right? You know, most of us, if we're fortunate, we have one home, but to have two homes, you have to have a little more means, right? Summer home, winter home, guess what? In that day, it was extremely rare. And again, we know from the story that they got, the reason they had that wealth was because they were taking from others unjustly. It wasn't through hard work or labor on their own. It was through dishonor from means. They were either extorting usury or just stealing from their fellow brothers and sisters. And so they had wealth, but they're going to lose it. It's all going to be gone. The mansions, the ivory. Interestingly enough, scientists, and, or not scientists, archaeologists have gone back and they've done some digging. They've actually found some of the ivory. They found some of that in there that dates around that same time. Not that excavation and all those things always are accurate, but they've, they've narrowed it down that they actually see this. They can see places where there was ivory and large buildings and confirm that there was people there um, besides the Assyrians who came after them. Just a side note that was interesting. But before that, you also see the other part of the judgment. You see the other problem. Like I said, they were taking advantage of those that were poor and those injustices, but you also see the spiritual condition, right? We talked a little bit about this, but it says, I will destroy Bethel, Right? I told you Bethel was that temple that they established in the north, right? Because the, 
The kings in the north didn't want them traveling down to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. They wanted to keep in their own area, probably for money reasons, economics. But they set up this temple in Bethel. They also set one up in Dan because it was convenient, right? But everything that we read, there was nothing good. It was not God's intention, right? Where was the temple that God wanted them to, to worship at? Jerusalem. Yeah, back to Jerusalem, right? They stopped doing that. When the kingdoms got divided and they established it, they set up their own convenience, their own little place of worship. And guess what? It wasn't true worship anymore. In fact, that's when the false gods came in. That's when Bryce brought his frying pan and set it up inside in Bethel. Yeah, no. But it would be just like that, right? It's not what God intended. It wasn't what he had told them to do. Interesting, too, talks about the horns. Again, we, we don't understand that. It's the horns on an altar. Again, we don't have the same system, but quite often an altar would have, have like outshootings, and it would either be a wing or like a horn. But the thought in the east was that that was a place of refuge. You could actually go in and seek asylum. You could grab a hold of those horns, and they couldn't kill you while you were holding on there. There's some other references later on with King David, uh, earlier in King David about that. But you, you could go in, and, and, and that was a safe place. And God's saying, when I judge you, that temple in Bethel with those horns, that's no longer a safe place. And so he wipes out the temple, that he takes care of that, and it's never to be rebuilt. Nothing with the one in Dan, right? It's no longer a place. It falls to the ground. It, it means nothing anymore. So you get that imagery that, again, we cannot escape God. So, that wraps up chapter 3. Again, heavy messages, a lot there, but you know what? We need that. We need to, to think about that. We, we may need to take some time and focus. You know, where, how's my worship? Have I put in some things in my life that are idols that have gotten me away from my worship with God? Are there things that are getting in the way? The other one, how am I treating others? How am I treating those less fortunate than me? Tough questions. Again, I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer that. You know who you interact with in the week. You know who you see, who you are around. You know who's close to you. You also know your own hearts. You know how you worship God. And if there's things getting in the way. And so, just like Amos I would say to you, heed God's warning. He wants your heart. He wants your worship. He wants it to be pure. And if not, there will be consequences for that. God is still the same God in the old as he is in the new. He wants us to worship him. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Help us to realize those places that we have fallen short. Help us to turn back to you and ask for forgiveness for those things that we've placed above you. Lord, may we heed your warning. Lord, even this morning as we've been reminded that there are people around us that are hurting and need you. Lord, that we would be that encouragement that pointing to God, that showing them, Lord, help us with that, something better than what this world has to offer. 
Lord, help us with us. Continue to give us those opportunities. Help us to, to be right in our own heart as we go forth. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.